this is a single mom of purpose. I am back to continue our study of discipleship. Okay, this podcast is brought to you by Kingdom Gales Ministries, and we are in chapter six of the book New Christians Handbook Everything Believers Need to Know by Max Anders. And we are in chapter six, and the title of chapter six is What Did Jesus Do? Now, the last one, chapter 5, was what did Jesus teach, okay? So, chapter 6, again, is what did Jesus do? And the chapter at a glance is, one, Jesus performed miracles. Two, Jesus confronted religious leaders. Three, Jesus preached to many and discipled a few. Four, Jesus provided an example for our lives. Five, Jesus accomplished salvation for all who believe. And six, Jesus prays for us today. Okay, so let's go ahead and jump right in to Jesus performed miracles. In the scriptures, we read of Jesus giving sight to the blind, hearing to the deaf, strength to the paralyzed, and life to the dead. He stilled storms with a word fed crowds with a few few fish and loaves of bread, and walked on water. Demons fled from him. A tree withered at his rebuke. Water turned to wine at his word. Miracles followed after him like a hound dog after a boy going fishing. Justin Martyr, Martyr, An early Christian writer in his book, Apology, wrote with confidence that he performed these miracles you may easily satisfy yourself from the acts of Pontius Pilate. It was the same time with the Jewish... It was the same with the Jewish leaders, excuse me. They were not able to deny the reality of the miracles. They were too well known to them to deny Since they could not deny them, they simply attributed them to the devil. He cast out demons by the power of Satan, they charged. To the person who assessed the evidence with an open mind, the conclusion was inescapable. Jesus performed miracles not on an isolated basis, but on such a widespread basis that it was undeniable and knowledge of that fact spread throughout the part, the whole part of the world. Jesus did not perform miracles merely to bedazzle or entertain. He helped people out of a sense of compassion. He wept before raising Lazarus from the dead. Also, he performed miracles in order to help people believe what he was saying. For example, he claimed to be the light of the world and then gave sight to a blind man. He claimed to be the bread of life and he fed 5,000 with a few loaves. He claimed to be the resurrection and the life and he raised Lazarus from the dead. Yes, Jesus's words were amazing and for his life to be consistent, his deeds had to be amazing too. As we read the New Testament, we are not disappointed. Okay, so now we're going into Jesus confronted religious leaders. Much of Jesus's life was spent confronting the hypocrisy, 
jealousy and error of religious leaders. The scribes were teachers of the law. They knew the law so well that they could ask them what the middle verse in the Old Testament was and they could quote it for you. They could tell you the middle letter in the middle verse. The Pharisees were a group of religious leaders who zealously promoted separation of Jews from the Gentiles. The Sadducees were also religious leaders, but they advocated integration with the surrounding life and culture. The scribes and Pharisees were religious conservatives of the day, and the Sadducees were the religious liberals. All of them, however, had drifted from true spiritual commitment to God. Following the law was their way of climbing the ladder of social power, not of leading people to genuine relationships with God. Some of them accepted Jesus, but the ones who maintained the stronghold in Jerusalem were mean-spirited people who were eventually were so jealous of their turf that they were willing to kill Jesus. When you look at the stark list of indictments in Matthew 23 against these religious leaders, it is no wonder that Jesus took them on so forcefully. They were dangerous. They were enemies of the gospel, selfish, jealous, money-grubbing, and power-hungry. Because of the gigantic obstacle these people presented to the gospel, Jesus deliberately initiated scenarios in which he would reveal their hypocrisy. One thing he did was initiate Sabbath controversies. That is, he deliberately did things on the Sabbath that God thought were okay, but the religious leaders objected to. You can find that in Luke 13, 10 through 17. A second thing he did was to encourage contact with sinners who had repented or might repent. You can find that in Luke 7, 36-39. A third thing he did was deliberately challenge their traditions so he could demonstrate that the traditions violated the law of Moses. You'll find that in Mark 7, 1-13. He did this to reveal their hypocrisy so they might repent and so that the multitudes would not follow them if they didn't repent. Okay, so now we're going into Jesus preached to many and discipled a few. Jesus preached to enormous crowds. In most cases, we don't know how large. The Bible just uses the word multitudes. However, in Matthew 14, 14 through 21, we read that he preached to 5,000 men aside from women and children. If each couple had two children with them, there were 20,000. The actual total is only speculation, but we guess that it was very a very large crowd, perhaps between 10 and 20,000 people. And the Bible gives no indication that this was an unusually large crowd. Jesus took his message far and wide, encouraging people to repent, to believe in him and accept him, and to live by faith in obedience to him. 
On the other hand, he often withdrew from public ministry and spent time just with his disciples. He had an outer group of followers that numbered in the hundreds. Then there was a team of 70 people who were more involved in his movement. Finally, he had his 12 disciples who were with him all the time. And even within the 12, he was especially close to Peter, James, and John. Building into these people on a life-on-life basis, he was preparing the nucleus of a following that would take the message of salvation to the world after he was crucified. Okay, so now we're moving into Jesus provided an example for our lives. Someone has said the Christian life has not been tried and found wanting. It has been found difficult and not tried. One has only to read the Sermon on the Mount to see how incredibly difficult the Christian life is if one takes it seriously. In America, where, there, where it is comparatively easy to be a Christian, the, implica- implications of, I have, the implications often escape us. But move to a poverty-stricken country that is hostile to Christianity, and suddenly the demands of Christ take on a whole new dimension. Jesus himself lived a perfect life, of course, And that life showed us how to flesh out the principles of the Sermon on the Mount and his other hard teachings. If we want to know what it means to love God and love our neighbor, we need only look at his life. He proved that even a life lived in the hollow of God's hand can sometimes be a difficult life. Jesus did everything the Father asked of him. And he ended up on a cross. In return, he asked us to live as he lived, regardless of where it takes us. 1 Peter 2, 18-25 teaches us that Christ suffered despite doing only what was right, thus leaving us an example. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but committed himself to God, who judges righteously. In that, and in all other things, he was our example, and we are to follow him. Going into Jesus accomplished salvation for all who believe. And then we'll be ending with Jesus prays for us today. The final thing that Jesus did in his life on earth was to accomplish salvation for all who believe. Humanity was cut off from God, destined for an eternity separated from him. Jesus satisfied all the demands that God the Father had for reconciling humanity to him. He paid the price for our sin. He died in our place. He offered his righteousness for us. Since everything necessary to make our salvation possible was done in Jesus through his incarnation, sinless life, crucifixion, resurrection, and ascension into heaven, the only remaining element 
is that we accept the gift that is offered to us. Some even say that the faith necessary to believe is given as a gift to us by God. While others say that everything short of the act of our will to choose was made possible by Christ's life. All in all, it was Jesus who made our salvation possible, and in him we are complete before God. Okay, so before I go into Jesus' praise for us today, I'm going to share um, the think about it. Now, every chapter gives us something that the author wants us to think about, okay? So if you don't understand what Jesus did, you might think that Jesus did not do or was not able to do miracles. If you don't understand what Jesus did, you might think that Jesus was a wimp who never confronted anyone. If you don't understand what Jesus did, you might think that Jesus went around picking needless fights with religious leaders. If you don't understand what Jesus did, you might think that Jesus failed when he left behind only 12 disciples. If you don't understand what Jesus did, you might think that Jesus died needlessly because because we don't really need to be saved from our sins. Okay, so that's just a few things to think about. Going into the last section, Jesus prays for us today. When Jesus ascended into heaven, he sat down at the right hand of the Father, indicating that his earthly task was completed successfully. Now he intercedes for us in prayer. Hebrews 7, 24-25. Why? Perhaps Luke 22, 31-32 gives us a clue. Jesus was talking with his disciples just hours before his arrest and crucifixion. There was danger for them all right around the corner. Jesus said to Peter, Simon, Simon, indeed, Satan has asked for you, that he may sift you as wheat. But I have prayed for you, that your faith should not fail. Perhaps that is what Jesus is doing for us standing between us and Satan, who wants to destroy us, asking the Father that our faith should not fail. In conclusion, this then is what Jesus spent the bulk of his time doing during his three-year earthly ministry. Number one, he performed miracles not only out of compassion to relieve human suffering, but even more to verify that he was the Messiah and to validate the message of salvation he was preaching. Two, he confronted the religious leaders in, in an attempt to reveal the falseness of their brand of religion and call people to a true relationship with the living God. Three, He prepared for his departure by spreading the message of salvation to the multitudes and by training a team of disciples who were prepared to carry the message of salvation to the world after he was crucified. Okay? 
you've been listening, you know after each chapter, there's a scripture that is to be memorized. There is a prayer, and then it has the let me ask you questions. So the scripture is 1 Peter 2, 21. The prayer is, Dear Lord, thank you for all you did for me when you came to earth. You had the power and the plan, and you provided the example for me. Thank you for backing up your words with sufficient action. Help me follow you as my example. Amen. Okay, so there's four questions. Number one, do you have any trouble believing that Jesus performed miracles? Why or why not? Number two, were the Sabbath controversies that infuriated the religious leaders needless provocation, or did they accomplish something important? Number three, why do you think Jesus had only 12 close disciples? Number four, what is the biggest thing you have to change if you were to live life with Jesus as your example? Okay, so again, that was chapter Six title What did Jesus do? And again, the chapter at a glance Jesus performed miracles, Jesus confronted religious leaders, Jesus preached to many and discipled a few, Jesus provided an example for our lives, Jesus accomplished salvation for all who believe, and Jesus prays for us today. Okay, so this is our foundation. Okay, if you are a disciple, if you are trying to be a disciple, if you are following Christ, if you have accepted him in your life, these are the things that we should be doing. Okay, Jesus came and showed us the way. Okay, we should not be um, partaking in this world. We should not be doing worldly things. Yes, we're here on earth. You know, because we are still human, but we are to follow his life path. You know, the things that he did, we are to do. Okay, if you have been called as a disciple, if you are a preacher, if you are a teacher, if you're an apostle, a prophet, evangelist, there are, let me see which word, there are, there's a way that we should be living. Okay, we should be living our life as Jesus lived his life. We should not be so consumed by the world that we forget who we belong to. Okay, so we have to learn how to do things as a disciple, as a follower of Christ, as a child of God. Okay, so this is really the focus. This is a share. You know, I'm doing it out of a book. Um, because I don't want to be, you know, giving everything on my own words. I want to say, okay, this this is coming from a book. This is something that somebody actually took their time and put this book together because they want other people that say they believe in Jesus, that they believe in God. They want you to know what it is to be a disciple of his. Okay, so that's why I'm doing this, so I can assist and do my part, you know, um, And in doing that, I'm learning myself as well because I don't know everything, you know, and I like to learn because I want to be the best that I can be for the kingdom of God. Because I believe, I believe, um, and I have faith, and, you know, I know how it was when I first became 
uh, a new believer. So I want to do my part and help other new believers and even old believers because it took me some time to, to learn stuff, you know, because um, everybody is not forthcoming. Everyone is not going to tell you what it is, you know. And all preachers, all pastors, all teachers, they don't teach and preach the whole Bible. So we have to learn some things for ourselves, okay? So I want to do my part to help others to get to know and learn what it is that we're supposed to be doing as disciples, okay? And when I come back and share, we are going to be learning about the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit. I'm, I'm excited. I love learning about the Holy Spirit. I love it. Okay. So, I will be back. Um, hopefully sometime this week. Hopefully. Pray for me that I, re- that I have some time to get back on here and give you guys another episode so we can continue in our study on discipleship. Okay, again, this is a single mom of purpose. I want to thank you guys for continuing to listen, continue to, to uh, if I could talk correctly, subscribe <laughs> to this channel on um, Apple Podcasts, on Google, Spotify, um, Anchor. So I thank you. I thank you for always listening and sharing with others. Um, you can find me on Instagram, Single Mama Purpose, Kingdom Gals. I'm on Facebook. I have, I have a group, Kingdom Gals Ministries. Um, you can find me on Twitter, Kingdom Gals Ministries. Um, my website, new website, www.kingdomgalsministries.com. Okay, so we are just going to continue to move forward, okay? And you know where you have this upcoming election. Please get out there and vote. Please, 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 please. You know, it's like, yes, we're in the world. We're not, you know, supposed to, uh, you know, but still, we got to, we're here. So we might as well, you know, vote. That's our duty to do that. Um, please do it. Um, tell your friends, your family, do it. Go out there and vote. Let your voice be heard. Okay, so again, thank you for listening. Be back shortly. Next chapter, we're going into the Holy Spirit, y'all. So come on now, get on here and continue to listen. So appreciate you guys. You guys have a good evening, amazing rest of your week. And we will be talking again shortly.